the church of Essence Park. We're disciples of Jesus that build generational, transformational disciples of Jesus. And uh, that transformational portion of it is very relevant today. So we'll be talking about uh, our world is in a bit of chaos right now. And that's why I've decided to take a week out of our normal uh, preaching schedule that we've planned a ways back. Uh, we'll be starting our series on through the book of Proverbs on wisdom starting next week, and we could use some wisdom, and so we trust that God was working and giving us that series in advance. But uh, this week, we really want to talk about uh, how does a church respond in days like today? Uh, in the midst of all of the division that we see, the, the troubles in our inner cities, the, uh, the strife and the fights and, you know, the, the racial tensions, the lawlessness, the riots that happen. What are we to do as Christians? How are we to respond? And that's what we're going to talk about today. And I think you'll be pleasantly surprised that God's Word actually speaks directly to this, of how we can respond. And it's not at all the way that the world responds, at all. And that's why it works. And so we're going to be going into it, our memory verse today, and I think maybe we're able to pull that up, if not. Um, yeah, okay, so just, just roll it. We're having good technical difficulties today. So it's Romans 12, 21, and this is really the, the end point, the punctuation of the teaching that we'll be going through today. But it really summarizes God's strategy to overcome a wicked, wicked world uh, in how the church does. And so Paul writes, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So as we build up to that through the teaching, let's just uh, set that to our heart. Uh, boy, it disappeared. So if you're on your connection card, you want to pull that out. Here we go. Three, two, one. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Romans 12, 21. Awesome. Again, because, you know, we're making Zach's life fun. Here we go. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Romans 12, 21. All right. So you have that on your connection card. If you're online, I'm sorry, but you know what? It's in your Bible. So uh, Romans 12, 21, it's a powerful thing. And because of that, let's get into the Word. And I'm just not going to rely on my overheads today. Um, but if So you guys are going to need to get your Bibles. If you have them, you need to open up to Romans chapter 12. And we're going to start in verse 9. In verse 9. And as you turn there to Romans chapter 12, here's the context. Paul writes to the Roman church, the church in Rome, all about uh, what does it mean to be a Christian. That's, that's the Romans letter. And it's through the Holy Spirit he's telling us Christian doctrine that's very core in a very unchristian setting. And in that time, through, through Romans, when he gets to Romans 12, he's talking to the church about how does a church operate in a pagan culture? How are we supposed to work as the church in the midst of a very broken world? And so we get to verse 9, and we begin with this sentence right here. It says, love must be sincere. This is how it begins, that we have to start with a sincere kind of love. That, that Christian love has got to be more than a virtue signal, right? Sincerity means real. It, it's not false. It's not a false front. It, it's not, uh, what was the, the word uh, that my wife used? Uh, it's uh, slacktivism. Doing as little as I possibly can, but look like I'm the most contrite or whatever. The, we're, we're not called to this. The Christians are called to actually love, and real love is, is doing for others, caring for another person, even above ourselves. 
And so the Christian love has to start with this. It's got to be sincere. Our world does not need any more shallow love. It doesn't need any more selfishness, which is the opposite of love. We start with this premise, the attitude, that a Christian's love has got to start by being sincere. And then in that sincerity, that sincere love, we read this, hate what is evil and cling to what is good. It's not wrong to hate, but we got to hate the correct things. In our sincere love, we got to hate what is absolutely wrong, what is evil, not evil people. And I struggle with this. I do. I turn on the news and I see the stuff that's happening in the world and it's easy to look at people or people that I feel are are on the wrong side of eternity right now in how they're acting. And it's very easy for me to get rageful at them and say, oh, they're so bad. Why would we expect an unsanctified people to act sanctified? And yet there's that brokenness here, so we need this reminder, hate what is evil. What is evil? Well, hatred is evil for other people. Yeah. How about this? Uh, Abuse of power is evil. I think we can all agree on that. Corruption is evil. Rioting is evil. Wanton destruction of other people's property. Murder is evil. Lawlessness is evil according to the word. Can we hate what is truly evil? Can we hate it when, when we see the brokenness in humanity, we see one group pitted against another group on just superficial terms? That's evil. Those things are evil. We are to hate what is evil. But as we hate what is evil, let's not make the other mistake the culture is making and throw the baby out with the bathwater. Just to say, well, let's just burn it all down so we can build it back up again and on whatever image we want. It says cling then to what is good. And what is good? Well, good doctrine, Yeah. A good faith, yes, that's true. But how about the good in others? Did you know, and this is a fascinating thought that just uh, blows my mind every time I think of it, that my worst enemies are not pure evil. There are actually good in the people that drive me nuts. And the word there to cling means to really cling, hold on to with dear life. Know that even in the worst of sinners, there's something redemptive in them. Can you cling to that? And how about even in our culture? Our society's got some problems, yes, but it's not flat out evil. There are some really good things in our culture. Can we cling to those things? Hold on to them for dear life. So we have the ability to root out what is wrong. And so we hate what is evil. We cling to what is good. And then it says to be devoted to one another in love. To honor one another above ourselves. Devoted. This is a sense that we have that we're supposed to to draw towards one another. That I really do, I'm committed to you. I'm committed to the broken people in this culture as well. Just as Christ was devoted to us and went to the cross to take our sins. Are we devoted to, to see the brokenness in our culture, the broken people in our culture made well? And we say this, we have to honor one another above ourselves. Devotion, love, honor. You read Bibles, you could circle those words. That's the way we're to do it. That's how we cling to what is good. And it says this, we're to do that above ourselves. That we can't make this about us. That it's not the rule or the, or the way of the church 
to, to co-opt the devil's drama. That's not what we're to do. We need to go and to actually care for other people, knowing that we're okay, right? Jesus is on his throne, amen? Amen, <laughs> right? He's coming back, and we know when he comes back, it's going to be a great day for us, and there is a place being built for me and for you right now, and nothing on heaven or earth is going to take that away. So I'm taken care of. You're taken care of. But we live in the midst of a culture, a lot of people who are lost and far off, that have been taken prisoner and captive by bad doctrine and bad ideology and bad beliefs that's causing all kinds of bad actions. Do we have the capacity to take that incredible heavenly position that we have and to see others where they are in the midst of their depravity and to meet them there? To care about them even more than I care about myself, that's a sincere kind of love. And so... We honor one another above ourselves, and so it says in, in that, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. We have to remember what side we're on, for starters. We're not doing this so it makes our church look good. We're not doing it so it makes you look good. Because if we did that, we're going to get attacked. People are going to call you all kinds of horrible things. I've already been called all kinds of horrible things. Just for saying simple things, like, I care about all people. That apparently is a hateful statement now. It blows my mind. But this is the day and age that we live in. So we don't do this because it makes us look good or feel good. When we do this, we're on the side of God and he's doing something redemptive in our world. And so we don't lack zeal. This is a time for action, not apathy, church. This is not the time for the church to stand on the sidelines and just eat our popcorn and watch how it pans out. Because real people whom God loves are tearing each other apart right in front of us. And our love must compel us. God's love through us must compel us to action. Real action of real love. And so we serve the Lord in this. You know, understanding that we are on the God side so we don't fight the way the world fights. And Paul talks about that then. He says that we're to be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. That looks a whole lot different than what we see on the evening news. But this is how we fight. And how can we be joyful? Well, we know how it ends, right? We know, we've read the end of the book, and if you haven't, read it. Revelation is a great book. It's very hopeful. God wins. It's awesome. And because of that, we don't freak out about today. This time has come, and it will pass. Ecclesiastes tells us that. There's a time to, to gather stones and a time to scatter them. We're in a scattering phase. It's a, fee, it's a season, it's a storm, but the kingdom of God remains. We are part of that. We know how it ends. We also know that today God is at work. We know this. We Romans 8, 18, that all things are being worked together for the good of those who love God according to, and live according to his purposes. That's what we are called to. So we know that even in today, we are joyful in hope. It's our hope that gives us joy. So I see that's what's happening today, and I say, God, I wonder how you're going to turn this out to something good, but I know you're going to turn this out to something good. That's awesome. So we don't act like people act today in the midst of fear as they react to the way that the world is. We respond to the truth of the gospel in the midst of this crisis and allows us to, to act totally differently. And if you're on a sinking ship and you don't know there's a lifeboat, you act differently. There's a lifeboat and there's a way. And so we are joyful in hope and so we're patient in this affliction. We're going to wait it out. 
The worst of brokenness never can last. It has an end date. There's an expiration to sin. There's an expiration to death. There's an expiration to destruction. There's a time that it will absolutely be stamped out forever. And you know what? Even in our lives, there's an expiration to all of these bad things. Every storm has a beginning and every storm has an end. So be patient. Will it be fun? No, there's affliction. It's a given. It's not going to be fun. We're in a broken world. But aren't you glad that you're going to overcome this? And that God's overcoming it through you? So be patient. Let's not try to demand everything be perfect today. Aren't you glad doesn't God doesn't demand everything's perfect in your life today? But he works slowly, beautifully in that sanctifying process. So we then have to engage God's power. That's why faithful in prayer matters. If you think, or if I think, that our church is going to be able to change this culture, we are delusional. We're people. We're fallen people. But God can change this culture, and he can do it through his body and his bride, the church. And so we have to make sure that this body is filled with the Holy Spirit. We have to make sure this body is empowered by God himself who is going to give us the ability to enact change in our lives and in our culture. We cannot do this alone. It's not just the social gospel. This is the power of God applied now. So we must pray and pray hard, maybe like never before in times like this. This is why next Sunday at 5 o'clock, we're going to meet Christians from all over Estes Park down at Bond Park. And we're going to be praying over our community and the police officers and our, our governor and our mayor and our leadership and our nation. We will unleash the power of God, but we don't have to wait till next Sunday. We can pray every single day. And so be faithful in that prayer. Know that God is at work. And so then we read, share then with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. This is such a good turning point in this. Do you notice before that, the strategy is internal. It talks about the motivations of the heart, right? Sincere love and hating with the right things and loving the right things, right? All of these things, faithful in prayer, having hope. This is the internal faith alive. But there's at some point, the faith has then got to be unleashed into our world. We need both. And if you don't have the first part, you can't ever get the second part right. But when we have solid, real, true faith, the love of God in us, it can work through us. And the first thing it says is to practice hospitality. And so we understand we're in this together. That as brothers and sisters in Christ, that it doesn't make any sense for us to love a broken world if we don't love the family of God. And do you know that we have brothers and sisters in Denver and, and all of the big cities all throughout the country right now that are suffering? There are brothers and sisters of the faith who've had their businesses burnt down. Brothers and sisters of the faith who have been mistreated by corruption. Brothers and sisters of the faith that are hurt. What is the church doing? And we say, Aaron, we live in a little bubble. This is Esses Park. What we, can we do? Well, we can start by praying, but also we will ask God how to act. And so we are to practice hospitality. We're going to share with God's people, but it's not just with God's people. You see, hospitality is an amazing weapon. Now, hospitality is the ability to, to disarm people in, in other ways. When, when doors open up, walls come down. What a great way to learn to love somebody is when you let them into your home. And when they receive hospitality, all of a sudden you're not the big bad enemy that they once thought you were. And it doesn't just mean bringing them to home. It's sitting down over a cup of coffee and letting somebody talk as you listen. Hospitality is an act of kindness that we get to demonstrate in a unique way as the body of Christ in this world. And I believe that we need some good hospitality now.
And so I love how it says practice it, kind of like a doctor practices. It's not like it's his first time he's ever, you know, helped somebody, but he's got to practice. He's putting into practice everything that he's learned. And that's exactly what we get to do, put into practice the hospitality God has shown us. Do you ever go to God with, you know, bad ideas? You ever go to God and just complain about things, even if they're your own fault? You ever go to God in ignorance? Aren't you glad that God practices hospitality with us every single day? He abides in us and with us. Can we practice hospitality to this broken world? Can we show kindness through our presence, through open ears, to a world that has no idea who God is and his goodness? We practice hospitality, and as we do that, it says, bless those who persecute you. Guess what's going to happen when you practice hospitality? Some aren't going to receive it well. It's a given. Persecution will come. We don't look for it. We don't have to. It's like weeds. If you ever planted a garden, weeds will come. So what do we do? Bless those who persecute us. They won't see it coming. This is the beautiful strategy of God. You know when Jesus said that the gates of hell can't withstand the kingdom of God? You know when we talk about the gates of hell, the defenses of hell are going to be able to withstand the gospel as it progresses? Here's why. The gates of hell were designed by the devil. The devil made defenses based upon his way that he attacks. And so if we fight the way the devil fights, we will lose 100% of the time. But the gates of hell, the defenses of the enemy, have no defenses for the ways of God. It's like stealth. And so when someone persecutes you, they expect us to fight fire with fire. That's the way the world works. When they persecute us, they expect us to come back punching. What they do not expect is a blessing. And the word blessing is more than just, oh, I bless you in the name of Jesus. That's a start. But blessing literally means making another person's life better. How are we improving the lives of our enemies? That seems like a crazy strategy if you're the devil. It's a beautiful strategy if you're the kingdom of God. And so as we bless those who bless us, we, who, who persecute us, we rejoice with those who rejoice, and we mourn with those who mourn. It's the presence of not just the body, but also of the heart. This is a way that we get to go into this world in a unique and a powerful way. And the context there is not just with other Christians who are, who are uh, <laughs> doing well. Remember, it says, bless those who, bless, <laughs> who persecute you. That's what we're supposed to do. This is talking about the people that persecute us. Can we rejoice with them? Can we mourn with them? Can we go in and see the brokenness of humanity that cries as a portion of the sin that it has entered our lives and the pain that's there? And so the Christians were not to scoff at the just deserts of wicked people. We're not to look at the inner cities right now and say, ha, 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 look what you're getting. That's awful. We're not to to go and to belittle another person's pain. If it hurts, it hurts. It's the time for the church to come in and say, we see that it hurts. And to join them in that in our hearts. That's hard. It's hard. And my controller's not working again, so I'm just going to keep reading. It says then we to live at harmony with one another. Living in harmony is not an easy thing to do, right? Harmony means that you, you're going to come up alongside and to make something sound beautiful, right? Harmony takes a, it's a, it's a, it's a, 
makes beautiful music, right? Dissonance makes ugly music. You have a melody or a main line, and then you have the harmonizer that comes up to it. The church can't do this, living in harmony, if we're tone deaf, right? The church has got to understand the days of the time that we live within, right? This is a, a powerful thing that we're to do, and harmony takes effort. It really is hard, and uh, you ask any musician, <laughs> but what do we to harmonize? The gospel with people's lives, we're to show this broken world and the theme of this world, which is a pretty lousy tune right now, to bring the gospel into it so they can see how beautiful it truly is. And as we live in harmony, it says then not to be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position, not to be conceited. Right? This is a part of that. How can we, we reach this world if we feel like we're above it? Yes, you're the children of God. Yes, you are heaven's royalty. But yes, you are also God's diplomats in this world today. Pride is self-worship. Pride is saying it's everything is about me. And so most of the problems that we see today, aren't they really rooted in pride? Isn't racism really pride? If we come down to it. And not just racism, isn't corruption really about pride? Or how about the rioters? Isn't it about pride? They're like, we're mad, therefore we have the right to ruin everybody else's life. Isn't that pride? Pride is destructive above all things. So it says, the church, let's make sure that this is not what we're falling into. And how do we know we're not pride? Well, by our attitude. Who are we willing to associate? And maybe associate people of low position. Yeah, it could be slaves in, in Paul's time, but in our time, it could be somebody who votes for a different party than you do. It could be somebody who sees things on an opposite side than you do. Somebody who the culture labels as wicked. Are you willing to go and to say, I associate with a person because all people are created in the image of God and I love them? And so we take down, in fact, we just ignore the false barriers that the devil has put up to try to divide us and is doing a pretty good job at it. Can we do that? And so we can't be conceited. Can't make this about us. Church, we cannot change the world if we're worried about what everybody's going to think about us and how they're going to treat us, what they might say about us or what they might cancel in my life. We cannot change the world if we're worried about me. God has you. He has promised. Seek his kingdom, his righteousness above all else. He'll take care of all your needs. He's got you. So don't be conceited in this. It may cost something. Okay, let's go boldly to a world that desperately needs us. And I was being conceited, too, is this idea that I somehow know how everybody else should feel. I don't. I can't tell you another person's experience and everything that's happened in their life. That's not what I'm, the church is supposed to do. The church is supposed to say, regardless of what you've gone through, God is good, and his ways lead to life, and that we can unify on that. And there's a God of redemption and of peace and of grace and of kindness. That's where to point to. So we need to lose this, con this conceit, making about ourselves. And so it says, don't repay anyone evil for evil. Well, you can star that, put that in your heart, because that's my natural go-to. I don't know about you, but I mean, somebody cuts down in front of me in traffic, and I want to tailgate them, right? Oh, you made me uncomfortable, now I'm going to make you uncomfortable. Right? That's how we work. But that doesn't help anything. You see, I, this comes from a poverty mindset. Really at its core, the whole idea of repaying evil for evil comes from this idea that there's only a limited amount of whatever. They don't understand that, that there's not an unlimited. We have a, we have, well, there's not a limited amount, there's unlimited. We, we don't have a, a God who is finite, we have a God who's infinite. But this idea comes from that there's a limited amount of either wealth or privilege or pain. And it's like this pie. 
right? And so somebody has too much wealth over others, we're going to take away some of that wealth so somebody else can have some, right? Like there's a limited amount, a finite amount. And if somebody has privilege this much, and the only way to make sure that everybody else got a fair share, we take away privilege from some people to add privilege to another, right? We think of it like a pie. And we think the same thing about wickedness. If some people have suffered too much, then we say, well, the way to make sure that they suffer less is to make other people suffer more. It's poverty mindset. But God is not poverty. God is not impoverished. He's the creator of all things. There is not a, this pie of whatever we think is out there. There's a pile. That's what there is. And when you take wickedness, evil, and then you say, I'm going to respond with evil, with evil, I'm just adding to the pile. And the world becomes more and more and more evil. That's why we don't repay evil for evil. It doesn't, it doesn't adjust evil anywhere. It just makes it worse. Instead, there's a better way. It says to be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. We overcome evil with a different kind of power. We don't pile it on. We scoop it away. And this is a call to holy diplomacy. Right? It says that we're supposed to understand how our actions, the best of our effort, are going to be interpreted. And as a church, we're supposed to do what is good. Starting in the eyes of God. But can the church do things that are good in this culture? That are seen as good? Well, we're to be careful to do that. It's going to take some effort. But it's not always possible. And Paul recognizes that. He says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. If it is possible. So church, if it is possible, let's do it. And if it's not, let's make sure it's not us. Let's not do things intentionally offensively in this culture and then wonder why everybody's offended. <laughs> but up to us, let's live at peace. When the world is declaring war against us, let's declare peace with them. A holy and a powerful peace. And so it says then, we're not to take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. It is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. This is so comforting to me because when we are facing difficulties and then we don't repay evil for evil, don't you feel like, well, they're just getting away with it? There's that sense of justice like we're doormats. We are not doormats. Here's the thing. We are the children of God and God has bigger fists than any one of us. And he takes care of his children. And he says, get out of my way. We don't have to repay evil for evil. If there are wicked people in this world that ultimately resist God and do all kinds of horrible things to the church, right? we're going to give them every opportunity to turn. But if they don't, that's up to, between them and God. And I would say, I would much rather face you than God. And so we can trust God's justice. We are not social justice warriors. We are gospel justice practitioners. That's who we are. We go to people and say, are you broken? Amen, like all of us. You can be saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. There's a leveling ground at the cross. And we're going to practice that grace and allow God's justice to come through God's means, not us. So the church doesn't take up arms. We, we take up uh, shovels and we, we take up uh, the, the position of a servant. We go out into this world and we care and we build when everybody else is trying to break down. And we trust that the justice of God, he's going to take care of us. And so it says, on the contrary, this is how we do. We don't fight like the world says, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. And doing this, you'll heap burning holes, coals on his head. How do we fight? We don't fight fair. Somebody's mean to you because you're a Christian. Your neighbor doesn't like you because you're a Christian. Be extra nice to them. Make it super hard for them to hate you. Let's make it so difficult for the world to hate the church that it just drives them nuts. Let's put them in a position of great discomfort so they can see the amazing God that we serve. We are not at war with flesh and blood. So let's stop pretending that we are and acting like we are. 
Let's be a blessing to this community. And so with that, it says, don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That's the conclusion. That's how we do it. Everything before is how that's done. But I'll tell you, in a day and age like this, it's easy to be overcome by evil. You turn on the news, you get overcome by evil. It makes you filled with rage. It makes you want to, you know, to, to repay evil with evil, doesn't it? It makes you want to hate other people. That's not how we work. That's not how we work at all. We're not going to be overcome by the spirit of this age. No, not by a long shot. Not by a long shot. Instead, we will practice the gospel. We will overcome, and get this, we will overcome the evil with good. And I want you to see that, that the power to overcome evil is already amongst us. God is good, and he is with us in his infinite power, and he, rise, he, he dwells within each one of us and in this body of faith. God is good, and he has more than enough goodness in him that we can overcome all of this evil and then some. There is more than hope for our nation. There is a hope for eternity and a hope for this world, and it is in Jesus Christ and him alone, so we must practice it. So let's overcome this wickedness, this evil day with good. So if we bring this, wrap this up, I want you to notice everything in this passage is personal. Everything in that passage is personal. It's not talking about what other people, Christians, should believe. It's talking about you. How do you practice it? Right? How am I practicing it? It's all practical. It's all about orthopraxy, not just our orthodoxy. Right? Orthodoxy is believing the right things. Orthopraxy is putting that good orthodoxy to work. Can we as a church rise up now and practice our faith? And the power to do it is with us. So, I would say this. It is time right now to turn the hatred of our nation into healing. It is time to turn the deep partisanship into peace. It is time to turn these riots into revivals, and that's just what our God does. And so as we finish this time, I'm going to pray God's blessing over us to be able to empower us and to send us out. And then there's going to be some action steps, and I want you to think about these. How is God empowering you to not be overcome by evil, but to overcome evil with good? Let's pray. Father God, we love you that you are the good God of all things, that you are the creator. You can make life out of death. You could do anything. You can overcome wickedness through the greatest act of wickedness in itself by allowing Jesus to be unjustly crucified on our behalf. In so doing, you destroyed all the brokenness that there ever was. You are brilliant. Your goodness is unmatched and unstoppable. The gates of hell itself have no defense for it. So, Lord, I pray that's blessing upon this congregation. Each one of us that are listening, empower us with that gospel. Will your goodness live in us and through us? Allow us to shine bright in this world so that you can receive glory, but also that our nation may be healed of this wickedness that is tearing us apart. Lord, undo the work of the devil through the work of your church. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, a few action steps we can take uh, this morning. Uh, first is to uh, memorize that Romans 12, 21 passage, and then also read Romans 12 and uh, get the context around that as well. And uh, thirdly, uh, we can pray for our nation. We definitely need it right now, right? Um, and uh, we have the opportunity to, to, to talk directly to the Almighty. And so um, challenge everyone uh, listening to pray for our nation. And then fourthly, overcome evil with good. And um, you may ask, well, that's pretty general. What does that mean? Well, think of uh, something in, just think of something maybe in your life this week, this past week, that has come and that has been just a, something that has been evil 
uh, in your life, something that has been not uh, not uh, how uh, against God. And uh, how are you going to overcome that? Uh, how are you going to um, how are you going to uh, just uh, confront that? I guess I'm trying to think of the right word. Confront it. And um, are you going to confront it with evil, or are you going to confront it with good? And so, as we talked about today, overcome that evil with good. As you go through this week, be thinking about that and do that. Um, you have your connection cards. If you have those, uh, pull those out and uh, write down those uh, commitments. Check off those commitments. If you have them online, if you're online, go ahead and go to our website, funchurch.com. You can find that connection card there as well. But we're going to get into worship this morning and uh, finish, out praise, finish off praising our Lord. So let's stand up. Thank you. 